0: Hello and welcome to the Sleep Like a Baby podcast. I'm your host Hannah and I'm an infant sleep consultant as well as a mum living and working in South East London. If you're a parent on the hunt for more sleep at night or during the day, or you're just wondering if your kid is normal, well I'm on a mission to normalise normal baby and toddler sleep. If your baby isn't sleeping through the night yet, if your toddler still needs you when they wake at night, If you're sick of being told you've made a rod for your own back by responding to and supporting your child to fall asleep or you are just not up for the world of sleep training of any kind, you are in the right place. In a world that tells mums and dads that they have to either cry it out or just wait it out, I am here to say welcome to the middle ground. Although if you want to wait it out too, that's cool with me, (laughs) in fact actually everyone is welcome here. This is not a podcast uh, shaming anyone who chooses to, say, sleep train their kid. Rather, it's a place where we can give a voice to those who are interested in the alternatives to that mainstream narrative that we need to teach our babies to be more independent so that they sleep at night. The reality is independence only comes after complete dependence. So, Nobody here is going to tell you to cuddle your baby any less, I promise. Now, on to today's episode. Reflux is something I am really passionate about, having had a baby who vomited a lot. And no, it was not just a laundry issue, as some people might say, although there was also a lot of laundry involved. And actually, I was regularly told it was normal and that he'd grow out of it by three months and then six months, and then his first birthday, and I was asked, slightly patronizingly, if it was my first baby. I mean, yes, it was, but I still don't understand how that actually impacted his ability to scream all night in pain, but anyway. And, you know, I got totally lost at the time in this Google rabbit hole and a million parenting Facebook groups about reflux. And looking back now, honestly that whole period is a bit of a blur for me I, I saw everything through that reflux filter so even a lot of normal baby behavior I blamed on his vomiting or his tongue tie I when actually I wish I'd had someone like today's guest Faye in my life and I absolutely love talking to Faye about not only what causes reflux and the sort of science and biology behind it because she knows so much But also, we really get into how reflux can impact us as parents, especially when it comes to things like bonding, maternal or or paternal confidence, and the ability to advocate for your own baby. Faye was a registered nurse for many years before having her gorgeous baby girl Mally in 2020, and then obviously her world totally changed, as it does for All of us, but as she explains in today's episode, her experience of birth trauma, breastfeeding grief and then a daughter who had very serious reflux and lots of allergies and and complex needs understandably all of this really impacted her mental health and I'm so grateful for Faye uh, for sharing all of this and being so completely honest and open about how it affected her and her family. Also just add in a global pandemic and limited support from those around her Um, you know on top of all of that situation for Faye Um, so she's, she's amazing though because she basically took that experience, built on her existing medical training and then retrained as a holistic baby reflux specialist and now she works with hundreds of families a year through her company Rockabye Reflux so that nobody has to go through what she did. Now a few words from me about reflux before we go any further I want to be really clear that not all vomiting or positing is necessarily a sign of reflux so in fact I'm of the opinion that lots of normal baby behavior can be too quickly diagnosed or misdiagnosed as reflux or colic when actually what that family needs is some support with feeding so if breastfeeding they need help with latch and positioning Um, If they're bottle feeding, then some better information about pacing feeds and making up formula to reduce gassiness and how to avoid overfeeding, for example. And certainly it is really normal for a baby to want to sleep on you, for example, uh, to not want to go into their cot uh, or to cry. You know, those are things that aren't necessarily a sign that your baby has reflux either, but some people will tell you that they categorically are. And another important thing to remember about reflux, and this is possibly my main message about the subject, is that it is a symptom, not a disease. So there is always an underlying cause of digestive discomfort and reflux. And very often it can be managed without say medication although obviously I'm not a medical professional and I would never want to advise anyone listening to this on their medical situation because I'm not qualified to do so so obviously I am not against medication and I completely agree that there are lots and lots of situations where it's a hundred percent appropriate and I I have the most respect (laughs) um, and admiration for the medical community as well I, I can't kind of emphasize that enough but there can be a lot of reflux support, you know, meaningful support that is involved with feeding or physical management, such as keeping your baby upright or wearing a sling and making sure they're more comfortable. That doesn't always mean that a baby needs to be medicated. And this is something we go into in this episode, but of course, um, you know, I just want to reiterate, if you are concerned about your child's health, please do speak to a medical um, health care provider straight away. So hopefully, I suppose the aim of this episode is not to advise on treatment or, um, uh, you know, give out advice on how to manage reflux. More, what I want is for the things we share about a holistic approach to reflux can empower you with this background information you you might need before speaking to a GP or a feeding specialist and you know I think this is where your gut feeling about your baby comes in this is why instinct is so important I always ask clients what is their instinct about their child do they sense their baby is in pain are they inconsolable really unsettled what is their body language telling us are they... Are they in discomfort? What 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 are their cries telling us? What are we hearing them say? So if you would like some more information about Faye and her work, I've linked her website in the show notes. And I also want to add that she has just recently launched her fantastic Rockabye Reflux parent handbook. Uh, this interview was actually recorded quite a few months ago. Um before she had finished that sadly so I didn't get a chance to speak to her about it but it really is a brilliant resource that you can buy from her website now. Um, And Faye is also currently training to be a tongue-tie practitioner as well so really there is no stopping her now. She is so passionate about supporting families impacted by reflux, about feeding challenges and digestive challenges and I just can't wait for you to hear our chat. The Sleep Like a Baby podcast is supported by The Octopus Club, the online marketplace where you can buy, sell and give away baby and kid stuff without any hassle. If your home is piling up with toys, clothes and bits of kit that your little one no longer uses, The Octopus Club offers an easy, environmentally friendly way of selling or donating things to other families. And if you're on the hunt for high quality second hand goods, this is the place for you. Honestly, the stuff on there is gorgeous. Check them out on Instagram or go straight to their website, theoctopusclub.com to sign up today. I'm uh, very grateful for your time today because you are super booked up and super in demand with your amazing business that you run, supporting families with reflux. Um, So I guess my first question is, how did you... How did you become a baby reflux lady? Uh,
1: So I got into it because of my daughter. So she suffered uh, with horrific silent reflux and reflux and allergies. And I kind of got fed up of being fobbed off. And I was like, this can't go on forever. There needs to be a reason for it. And I found the baby reflux lady, started following her, got her book, reading more into it. And then I just decided to do the training to finish working out what was up with Mally and why she was still suffering at nine months of age. And so that I could help other parents because I just felt like what I personally went through and we as a family went through was so horrific. Mm. And the more I looked into it, the more I realized how many other parents were suffering just from like the Facebook groups. And I just decided this was what I was gonna do and went for it and here I am.
0: I think it's so important because I was a member of like 400 different reflux parenting Facebook groups myself and there's so much misinformation Mm -hmm. out there because obviously they're mostly unmoderated they're just you know it's kind of the blind leading the blind isn't it yeah Um, so it's so great you know you're such a voice of of reason and reliability and um, so yeah I think you're brilliant um, and so I'd love to hear more about what happened with Mali. so how how she how old is she now?
1: She's 14 months
0: oh little baby still
1: yeah she's, she's awful demanding but also yeah. cute it's an intense age it is very intense so she Mal- not what she wants
0: no no but she yeah it's very okay. frustrating I'm very glad I, I don't remember being 14 month old myself <laughs> um but so Mally was born um like you know what was were there any complications with her birth or when did when did things kind of get really difficult for you guys
1: uh so i mean birth was pretty horrific i was mm. induced because she was overdue um which i regret massively but there we go yeah. um and then induction kind of didn't work went horribly wrong went on for 30 odd hours um i had an epidural that didn't work and oh. The whole thing was just a mess i had retention and oh, um okay. i was not very well and we were in the peak of the first wave of the pandemic so it was in may on 2020. so I ended up going for a category one c section it was initially a category two and then on the way to theater they were rushing down the corridor and shouting to call neonates and saying it's category one um she came out she wasn't breathing uh she had quite a low ag score and I lost a lot of blood eventually they resuscitated her and gave it to me and then I got sepsis and
0: oh my goodness I had no idea I'm sorry that is so traumatic
1: (laughs) yeah I mean it's birth trauma awareness week this week as well so it's quite relevant to this chat but yeah it was not nice at all I had sepsis she had an infection so I don't really remember much about being in recovery. I just remember looking over and they were putting a cannula in her and cannulas in me and there was doctors around me. And we stayed in recovery for a while. We weren't allowed back onto the antenatal ward because I was too unwell. So we went back to the de- uh, labor and delivery suite to be looked after overnight. And because of the pandemic, Alex had to leave my partner, um, maybe like an hour after she was born while I was mm. still septic and, Things were not great. Um, and then I got left in a room with a baby. <laughs> I had no idea what to do with it at two o'clock in the morning. Um, I mean,
0: yeah, and you <laughs> can't even move your legs. Like, you couldn't move anything. Still, you would have still had like a catheter in, I assume. Yeah,
1: yeah. I was literally chained to the bed. They gave me a wash. That was nice. <laughs> um, oh, after
0: and then... a 30-hour labour. Oh, Faye, but I'm yeah. so angry on your behalf.
1: Like... It was awful. I, I pressed the buzzer because she'd done her first breastfeed in the hospital and then when we went back to the room mid I had like toast and tea and the usual th- and then she said get some sleep and she went off for her break and left me in this room and Mali woke up and I couldn't pick her up and I couldn't reach her so I pressed the buzzer and I waited and I waited and then um like an assistant came in I don't know what they called on the midwife unit it's like a healthcare assistant mm-hmm. and she was like she must need a feed it to me and left the room uh so I didn't really know what to do uh, I, I tried I... to feed her and didn't know what I was doing basically
0: and I just want to say like when I say that I'm angry I just if there's any um, midwives or nurses or you know healthcare providers listening mm-hmm. to this I I just want to make clear that my anger is directed at like a a general situation and in the pandemic and I know Mm. that like people were working in really really hard conditions and I just think that the government and the people in charge just forgot so many vulnerable people including new families and I think like you know I, I think it must have just been an incredibly difficult time to have been working on a on a maternity ward as well as giving birth and it's just it makes me I, I'm, sh- I'm sure those people weren't feeling that they were right. able to do their best work either no. and um but it's just like it's just unacceptable that 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 situation was there I think you know
1: yes it was um not great at all so you
0: okay so right so we're it's the middle of the night
1: yep birth was bad and then but, yeah. she wouldn't feed that wouldn't was it feed, she wouldn't yeah. feed i didn't know what to do then in the midwife came back for a break we did some hand expressing syringe fed her um and then she kind of settled and slept till the morning then we got taken up to the postnatal ward maybe early hours of the morning um and we we're both on like four hourly iv ant- intravenous antibiotics mm. Um, and I think the best help I had was a student midwife. She was actually really good. Um, but I kind of had my catheter removed, told to, you know, go to the toilet. Yeah. And I would have loved someone to have come with me, yeah. but they didn't. I dropped everything over the floor. I couldn't bend down. Oh. I was alone. It was just nobody. And I was like, what do I do with Mally? Like, does somebody need to watch her? Uh, you know, anyway, Alex came back and she fed okay on the first day like not brilliantly but okay Mm. but was seemed really unsettled by it was my first i was just like you know I, i don't really know much else and then he left that night and then basically that second night was horrific so she basically either screamed or fed she was the only baby crying on the whole ward uh, nobody could sleep because she wouldn't stop screaming and she wouldn't stop feeding she would feed for a few minutes come off fall asleep i'd put her down thinking she was done by sort of 3 a.m i had had enough i'd been awake for days um and the Midwest came took get off me and expressed some colostrum to give her they brought her back an hour later and said she won't settle um and from there it just kind of snowballed so she just never she just wouldn't feed properly at all and they kept saying her latch was fine her latch was fine one midwife came in suggested tongue tie the feeding specialist midwife who works in the tongue tie clinic came and told me that there wasn't one somebody else put a referral in they gave her like formula in a cup because she would not sc- stop screaming um on the ward and then we got into like formula top-ups and using Mm -hmm. the bottles I wasn't very well supported at all uh I felt really distraught I really wanted my mum there Mm -hmm. to be honest because my mum had breastfed three of us but you were only allowed one visitor like your birth partner so she couldn't come uh we eventually got discharged home I think on day five and then on day six overnight I was trying to breastfeed and then top up with formula and I put her down for a sleep and like at one o'clock in the morning uh after she'd finished her feed and I woke up at about six and she was floppy and gray and unresponsive in the Moses basket so Panic didn't try to ring 111 because you just in that state of like, oh, we're in a pandemic. I don't, you know, they've said the ambulances are really busy. I'm a nurse and I just did not know what to do. Rang 111. They said the lines are really busy and there was a long wait. So we got our neighbour GP to come round with a mask and antibacterial spray. And she was like, call 999 now. Um, So we went back into hospital again. We went to, well, we went to the paediatric ward rather than back to the maternity unit. Alex wasn't allowed to come I was like six days post c-section on antibiotics I hadn't slept I was a mess um and they never she kind of came around in the hospital I got some gaslighting going on about being a first-time mum uh, while I was in hospital and got told well you should just carry on breastfeeding just stop giving her formula and I was like nobody understands she won't feed she's not feeding properly mm. she was jaundiced." this um mm. And then came up with a bit of a plan from the midwife in terms of like using nipple shields because my I was in so much pain when she fed, when she did actually feed and then topping up with formula. And from there, it really escalated. So she started becoming so unsettled that I physically did not have the time to pump and sit and pump and express breast milk to give her. I did it for maybe a week. Uh, but by this point, she was screaming for... 20 out of 24 hours during the day uh then um, she must have got to five weeks old and we finally had a tongue-tie referral come through we went to the tongue-tie clinic the midwife there was really concerned sent us back into hospital because she said her breathing was awful her suck and swallow was really disorganized and she's like I I can understand why you couldn't breastfeed because she you wouldn't have a baby left if you'd carried on uh because her feeding was that bad so they cut her tongue tie and we went in. They gave me some Gavascon and told me I was overfeeding her. By this point, she was exclusively on formula because she wouldn't feed. <laughs> then we started on a Meprazole a couple of weeks later. Then we started on aptamil pepti 1, extensively hydrolyzed formula. Things improved slightly, but she was still really. Don't even know how to describe it, she just squirmed and grunted constantly. She made this horrible squeaky sound, which I now know was the Ringo Malaysia, which was attributed to her, her kind of all tone and function. And she duh, 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 Where did we get to? Then we went on an amino acid formula, stayed on amepazole, and we kind of carried on like that until she was about six months. So we she would get worse, we'd increase the ameprazole, she'd be okay for a bit. She'd get worse, we'd increase the amepazole. to nearly six months started weaning her and she started reacting to everything i was giving her so like courgette (laughs) she would come out in like a rash all over her face and Mm. i was like what baby is allergic to courgette i don't Mm. understand so this was when i got the baby reflex lady survival guides and started reading about like side effects of medication and increased risk of allergies being one of them So I just stopped the Omeprazole called Turkey. I don't advise anybody to do that. (laughs) I had had just had enough. So I just stopped it. I paid like 250 quid for a paediatrician appointment who said, oh, we could do a pH study um, to look at her acid. To which I said, no, I don't need a tube to tell me she's got reflux. I just need to know why and what to do about it. And then, yes, stayed off the Omeprazole and started like started doing the the baby reflux lady training when she was about nine months things were still not great she was waking up in the night screaming all the time she was still really bubbly and chesty uh we'd been referred for that as well at the same time because this bubbly noise that they told me was mucus from being a newborn never went Uh Uh, (laughs) so yeah there's, that kind of gets a bit complicated so they started saying she had asthma even though she does not have asthma um i did the course uh whilst i was doing the course i kind of worked out that her tongue had either not been cut deep enough or it reattached so i got her tongue recut at nine months old which was extremely traumatic but it hugely helped her feeding and then I also changed to the reflux safe diet which Anya Mm -hmm. does has a course for so I followed that from there things are a lot better because she was restricted for for so long she now compensates still when she swallows so she still gulps she doesn't chew food properly Mm -hmm. but we're in a much better situation she is reflux free we're just now working on Kind of open mouth sleeping and getting her to use the proper muscles to kind of chew and swallow. I probably miss bits in there. That story is so long. I apologize for talking for so all, long. Not at <laughs> all.
0: Is, um, God, like I'm just. It's so. It's. I'm so sorry you had to go through all that. I don't really know what else to say. It's. It's. Um. It's. An, it's crazy that that a person has to go through all that with like such little support yeah yeah um and I just think you've been really let down and I wish this was a really unusual story as well and I know from my own clients um and having done some like training myself in reflux and having had a refluxy baby myself I know that your story is not unusual either which is just heartbreaking um And, I mean, how were you through this, like, emotionally?
1: What impact Uh, did that have on you? mm, I was not in a good place. I did not bond with Molly for a long time, uh, as much as I didn't want to admit it. Uh, Yeah, I scored really highly on my postnatal check at the eight-week check or six-week, whenever it was. I think it was eight weeks, because they were combining the injections vaccinations with the postnatal check which now Mm. I'm like that's really poor because Mm. (laughs) you need the time without your baby to discuss whether you're coping or not Mm -hmm. um to score quite highly on that I was quite depressed um I used to cry a lot I didn't really feel anything towards her I became fixated on sleep so I which is why I kind of love your account and others similar because I followed some big accounts that were big on sleep training and mm. I just didn't know another way I didn't do sleep training but I, I did try a few methods to get her to fall asleep on her own because I was obsessed with that yeah being the problem and not napping on me um mm. I think when things were really bad my mum had her and I just left the house one day and was just out of my mind the streets were empty because it was pandemic peak I wandered around I was looking for bushes to hide in so that I didn't have to go back home because I did not want to go back into the house and be with a baby that screamed constantly um yeah Did, did it
0: it must have just felt um endless
1: yeah 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 It's. I mean, sometimes it still does. I'm like, why are we still battling with her ability to chew foods at 14 months? But, but you know, she's absolutely fine now. She sleeps through the night, and she doesn't have reflux. But you still feel like, will this ever
0: end?
1: But I guess that's just parenting.
0: (laughs) I do, and I think it's. I think when we're in, when we're in the thick of something, even though the rational part of our brain knows that, yes, we know that babies grow up. We know that children sleep. We know that reflux. like can be cured we know all these whatever it is you're battling Mm. we know we will go through like it will pass but in when you're in the eye of the storm I just think it always feels like it's going to be forever yeah you know I think that's kind of even when i'm so silly if i have a cold i often think i'm going to have a cold It'll be
1: forever <laughs> i'm you can't dramatic see way. <laughs> yeah
0: but anyway that's a really bad example but i think like you know yeah when you're in when you're in it you're in it and um and particularly like for your mental health and and everything i mean that must have just been god such a such a intense situation and how was your partner through all of this how did he
1: Mm, he was, to be fair, he was really supportive. So, any kind of new idea that I came up with off, you know, looking on Mum's Net and Facebook groups, yeah. <laughs> I'd be like, we need to try this. We need to try this milk. We need to try this. He was really like, okay, yeah, I'll go and buy it. Like, he just, you know, he was supportive. He didn't really know how to help apart from agreeing with what I was suggesting. Like, he knew she was unsettled, but she didn't really settle well for him. So, he was really good, you know, he cooked and looked after me. and. Yeah, I think yeah. up until recently I probably didn't realise how much it had affected him. We were literally talking about it last week. Um, I think we were talking about having another one. And mm. he kind of said, like, I do think maybe it did affect me more than I realised. He was like, yeah. I was just so in it and at the time, and just you're so everything just is all consuming, isn't it? Um, that mm. I think he's like, it probably did affect me more so like he now I will sometimes use videos of Mali when she was younger for like a reel or to show somebody or as an example. And he can't look at them mm. without being like, I, he's just like, I don't want to see that. I don't want to see that. Um, he can't look at her videos basically. So yeah. yeah, but he was really good for me, but it's surprising how much it can affect dads too. There's a lot of focus on mums, but dads, are the ones that are kind of on the sideline, not knowing how to help.
0: Yes. And it's
1: really difficult. Yeah
0: yeah my husband said that he often felt really helpless, and that really affected his like confidence then as a as a as a father mm. um, yeah, it's just really hard when you don't know where to get help from yeah. and um I, and I do think that the Facebook groups and forums um, and things are really like potentially dangerous places yeah. because there's so much um as we were saying earlier, rubbish advice yeah um and for example you know i one that i was a member of everyone was really really pro like uh medication like omeprazole um, yeah. and um when my and yeah and when i when my son was born it was before ranitidine had been like um recalled, recalled. Yeah. so it was it, it was just around in fact i went into my gp and i begged her to put my son on omeprazole or ranitidine and I was yeah. so focused on that being the answer. And she wouldn't, And I'm very, I, I think she did the right thing. She definitely, you know, um, for us, for our situation. And I'm grateful that she didn't. But I was, like, convinced because I'd read all of these posts that yeah. that would be the fix. Yeah. And I couldn't understand then why she wouldn't pr- give me that prescription. I, I literally sobbed in her office and left feeling so angry. Um, yeah. Um, and so I think that's the danger of, of.
1: I'm actually impressed that she that she said no. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's that's quite good. Yeah, but the, I know what you mean. There a lot of people say like on a Facebook group, "Oh, I'm a Prozol and this milk worked," and then yeah. and then that next person goes to the GP and I want this medication and this milk. But that's such a generic way to address reflux yeah. because it's so it's such an individual thing to each baby. And it often just acts as a band-aid, like omeprazole yeah. stops the production of stomach acid. We need stomach acid to break down foods and ingredients, like yeah. it's an integral part of the digestive system.
0: And to fight so, off infection.
1: Yeah, um, it, the gut microbiome, your gut health is so affected by these drugs and there's long-term side effects of using them. Babies are often never reviewed when they've put on them, so they're just left on them indefinitely. Mm-hmm um so so, it's yeah, a big so problem
0: the, the the key here really is and this is obviously what you're all about and what i'm all about is yeah. that the key to reflux is finding the cause yeah. so that's why the facebook groups don't work it's not because people are stupid or giving the wrong information no. it's because the cause of reflux is going to be different for every child there might be several causes um and so therefore the treatment can't be universal or generic because the cause is going to be different so yeah what what in your situation like what's Mally's cause like what caused her reflux um
1: what didn't she literally had everything under the sun so uh induction of labor c-section Antibiotic exposure during labour and direct antibiotic exposure after she was born, Mm -hmm. cow's milk protein allergy, um, tongue restriction times two, tension and misalignment in the body and is that it? (laughs) Literally, when you were
0: telling your story, I was like, "Oh, reflux cause! Oh, reflux! reflux Oh, (laughs) that will that antibiotics that'll do it! Yeah, yeah." Oh god! Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So for my son, it was so he was breech. Yeah. Um, born via a planned C-section. I don't know if planned or emergency has an impact, actually no uh, no anyway are. um yeah. but yeah so breach c-section um early supplementation of formula tongue tie uh oh yeah and then i was on antibiotics yeah. uh i see so you're, you're hitting a lot of them as well <laughs> yeah i think i think that's it for us um yeah. but i think primarily for us it was the tongue tie um yeah.
1: Yeah. it was for us it was that was a huge problem with feeding and yeah massive problem. so
0: could you explain then why if someone's listening to this they're like why are they talking about tongues
1: and tongue ties <laughs> like
0: what's that got to do could you explain what why that would cause reflux
1: yeah, so we need the, the tongue is an integral part of feeding and latching, which is one of the main things babies need to do. They need to latch and they need to feed effectively. They need a complete seal around a breast or a bottle. And if the tongue is restricted, it can often mean that the latch is shallow. They also need to be feeding correctly so not compensating so compensating can mean like overly gripping on with their lips gulping so gulping means you drink air it's a compensatory and exaggerated swallowing technique which is what we are still dealing with now Mm -hmm. um and also tongues have a huge impact throughout the whole body so the tongue is connected all the way down to the toes via fascia which is connective tissue so you can get tension in different parts of the body just from problems with the tongue and the vagus nerve that runs through the body like everything is so connected to the tongue and all function um you always need to start at the mouth so when I do an assessment working through things I'm always looking at like the latch what is going on at the mouth are they feeding efficiently are they doing the correct things are they drinking air the reason why drinking air is important is because air is a direct cause of reflux if you fill the stomach full of milk and air or just air it creates a pressure a bit like blowing up a balloon that's that pressure in the stomach is going to force those stomach contents into the esophagus baby will either swallow them back down or it'll go up into the nasal passages or up and out the mouth
0: yes this is why it's so important that you are assessed by someone properly trained in tongue tie diagnosis and why you need someone to put their fingers in your baby's mouth and assess the oral like function function Mm -hmm. so if anyone has looked in your baby's mouth and said they don't have a tie disregard that that is not an assessment okay sometimes you can see it and you can say that is clearly a tie you know like sometimes it's very very visible but unless someone trained has stuck their finger in that in your mouth and had a good couple of minutes having a good feel and seeing what the tongue can do and what they can move and all of that stuff you have not had an assessment for tongue tie and all the time I'm told by clients that so and so said it was fine so and so had a look blah 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 and I say did they put their finger in the mouth and they're like no no one ever did but they've you know and they've still got painful feeding misshapen nipples low milk supply all of these things and reflux and um, it's just because people aren't being assessed properly.
1: Absolutely. I got told by a paediatrician that Molly did not have a tongue tie. And then yeah. at nine months, they were like, it's so thick and tight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, somebody missed that. It's yeah. just, um, yeah.
0: Okay. And
1: so, and also, I think um,
0: it's it might be good to point out as well that often because of the tongue tie and I know I've done an episode on tongue tie so I won't yeah. I don't want to repeat too much of this for people who've listened to the episode but because the tongue form the, the tongue tie forms in the womb as yeah. like when you're a fetus and so often that affects how your jaw and your mouth kind of grows around you know that that area of your body grows so it's very common for babies to have what we call a high palate as yeah. well if they've had restricted um a restricted tongue um so that can feel look like a kind of little bubble in the top of the mouth and so often even if you've had kind of the tongue released there can still be an opportunity to swallow air right because you've Mm. got this like high palate and it's just the your baby just needs to kind of either have some body work grow a little bit more alter how they're fed work on the latch and kind of work around that it's not just a case of snipping the tongue and and you oh it's my fixed. gosh, no,
1: no. So, like, a huge part of when I do an assessment, I talk about there's an oral play guide that I recommend, like, the importance of doing tummy time, using toys that are good for oral development. And I always say, like, don't just focus on the procedure itself, if that's the, the kind of underlying cause. It's all of the stuff around it are the signs of tension as well, likely, if there's a tongue restriction. Let's not go in, which is what happened with Mali. I think we rushed in not knowing any different had the tongue dim she was so tense and tight from the birth and the labor that I think it just stuck back together like her t- you know we didn't know any mm. different that it's such a a multifactorial thing not yeah. just a, a one a fixed straight away approach
0: yeah and so going back to the causes of reflux and so how can a cesarean impact reflux
1: So cesareans, whether elective or weather emergency, uh, babies are basically shocked when they're pulled out. So in in a natural textbook perfect birth, their bodies are signaled that they're about to be born. Mm -hmm. So they know that they're going to come out. In a C-section, they're just taken out and they don't know that's gonna happen. So you can, it can lead to shock in baby's body Mm -hmm. and shock can leave residual tension in nerves and muscles in the body. And all of those nerves and muscles need to be working correctly for babies to latch and feed effectively.
0: Mm -hmm. So if
1: you've got any interference with that or any intervention in birth, you're interfering with the natural process and it can lead to tension, which Mm -hmm. can affect how the jaw moves, how babies feed. Um, and this is by no means to sort of say don't go and get a C-section if you need no. one. <laughs> yeah. Um I think sometimes I sound like the, the grim reaper of reflux. I'm like, all these <laughs> things happened and this is why your baby has reflux, and people are like, oh my God. Because mm. I I sometimes feel like that, you know, maybe if I hadn't got induced and we hadn't gone down that path, that uh, we wouldn't have needed all these different things. But I'm, um, you know, the stuff you can do about it is the most is the most important thing to remember. You don't just have to sit and wait through
0: it yeah and and not all c-section babies have reflux you know so yeah yeah Yeah. absolutely and also I suppose there's the microbiome element to that um could you talk a little bit about about what what that means
1: so when babies are born vaginally they're exposed to microbiome which is connected to their gut microbiome which affects their ability you need good healthy gut microbiome to digest milk Mm -hmm. and ingredients and foods and when they're born by c-section they don't go through the birth canal and they're not exposed to the same microbiome as if they're born vaginally yeah
0: yeah and breech babies so how how could that increase your chances of reflux
1: so same with tension so Mm. if a baby is breech and they're in the wrong position and their head is in a funny position or it's a bit i always think of it as having a cricked neck Mm -hmm. like if you cricked your neck um, imagine that a baby is sat in that funny position I'm one I'm doing it now I'm sat there with my mm-hmm. neck to the side mm-hmm. um, imagine that a baby is is in a funny position and then they're going to be all tight and tense which is yeah. why body work can be really helpful so like breech position back to back anything like that twin pregnancy multiple pregnancy position in utero can have mm-hmm. an impact on tension in the body and tension is so huge for feeding and digestion yeah. and reflux
0: and, and really quick vaginal labours, that can also be quite traumatic for a baby, can't it, in terms of, that, like, you're talking about that tension and...
1: Yeah, so really, really quick or really, really slow and long where, mm. so in a quick labour, the, either the squeezing hasn't been enough or the squeezing has been too quick. And in a really, really slow labour, they're squeezed for ages, so you can have too much pressure of some of those nerves and, and muscles in the body
0: god it's complicated isn't it it's i mean so, it's so complicated <laughs> you'd have thought we'd have sorted this out by now
1: <laughs> i know, come, I know. On,
0: come on humans get it right like i know um okay so lots of causes and then um antibiotics can then how does that impact re-
1: reflux so it can just affect your gut health so antibiotics yeah. are indiscriminate when they go through the gut so they can affect good bacteria and bad bacteria and just wipe everything out um which can affect your body's ability to digest milk food yeah. ingredients and in formulas things like that so that is definitely a contributing factor
0: gosh and i was um i was talking to someone recently and they um was, were asking me why reflux seems to be more of a thing nowadays though so this um was someone who was like of an older generation and they were saying i'm yeah. sure in my day like reflux just wasn't a thing (laughs) now like i hear now it's a thing why do you think that is
1: Mm, it's a tricky one because i think years ago parents were more so fobbed off in Mm. terms of like oh it's just colic or Mm. your baby's just fussy and your baby's a cry which those things are still lingering however I think there's probably a decline in. I read something the other day about the decline in our kind of generation's gut health, mum's mm-hmm. gut b- bacteria and gut health microbiome in pregnancy, which is linked to baby's gut health. Um, there's probably more interventions going on now mm-hmm. with, you know, like guidelines in terms of when to induce people, yeah. and therefore that puts your increase of C sections yeah. higher there's very mixed evidence on the the whole tongue tie prevalence thing as well and folic acid was way too Mm. complicated to get (laughs) into right now (laughs) um
0: but i think as well i think in if we look go back say 30 years ago breastfeeding rates were like even lower yeah um and formula was was so widespread that i think that even though bottle-fed babies are impacted by tongue ties it's Mm. perhaps not quite as in in not quite the same way as they are with breastfed babies would you say or is that me misunderstanding it
1: i would say in terms of reflux they can Mm. as much of a large impact and if anything you're at higher risk of drinking more air using Mm. a bottle anyway so if you add a tongue restriction into that then you can have a lot more problems with reflux and i think the issue is is that lots of people like for me as well breastfeeding finished before I was ready Mm. Um, and it's all connected to the same journey the same problem and it was a tongue restriction that wasn't picked up on early Mm. enough I wasn't supported the treatment wasn't provided soon enough and it the solution is always just give them formula not why is breastfeeding difficult and when you move to bottle feeding it's different in terms of orofacial development so they tend to not use the same muscles they're not having to suck as hard and as efficiently it like it affects jaw growth and development and this again is not to like make people feel guilty about if breastfeeding mm-hmm. finished early and people like I was I'm that person you know
0: yeah me to too stop yeah. breastfeeding yeah, and give
1: muscles yeah. um but yeah, it's multifactorial. I think the tongue restrictions can end breastfeeding for people, but also tongue restrictions can cause huge problems with bottle-fed babies. Yeah. absolutely huge problem. For, for us, it was absolutely enormous. The the her lack of ability to latch on anything to the point we used a narrow neck bottle, which has actually hugely negatively impacted the way her face has developed and the way she's using the wrong muscles. So she's overusing her digastric muscle, which is like the swallowing bit underneath her chin. And she's got these big cheeks because she's essentially sucked as if she was using a straw out of a narrow neck bottle for a long time until we got her tongue done the second time. So there's all these kind of cascade of events. It's a bit like increasing flow sizes. I feel like I'm going off on a tangent now. (laughs) It's increasing flow rates on bottles. Uh, It's a complete marketing plea. If your baby starts off on a size one, and they're happy on a size one, leave them on a size one. Mm -hmm. The reason for that is with breastfeeding, over time, babies get more efficient at feeding the breast milk doesn't come out quicker. So when you increase a flow rate on a bottle, baby just doesn't have to work as hard. So again, orofacial development, it is all relevant and it is all linked to reflux because then you come on to chewing of solids and if they have not developing those muscles properly, properly, then they struggle to chew and digest foods and mix the foods with saliva and swallow them, which then affects digestion of foods in the gut. So it's Mm. also connected Mm. in a massive way.
0: Yeah, we never we never changed teat size on my son's bottles. That's um, good. Yeah, but and I do I do think it helped and paced feeding and I yeah. think just getting support with feeding is such an important part of this because yeah. even if you're in the kind of like investigation stage and you're still trying to figure out the causes um yeah, getting that feeding support is such a big part of of all of that. Yeah. Um so yeah, so there's so many there's so many courses basically aren't there there's like I yes. mean we would need a whole podcast series maybe by going through each one <laughs> in great <laughs> um, detail in great detail um yeah. and you know and allergies and intolerances uh, are yeah. obviously a big part of that picture as well um yeah. and there's some really interesting research into like early supplementation of formula and the development of allergies as well and things yeah. like that and it's just it's I find
1: it fascinating yeah but is scary. it seven percent higher risk of allergies with early? i feel like i read this the other day
0: yeah i've read anyway i've read eight to sixteen percent bearing okay. on, be, bearing on different um different studies um okay. prevalent so um particularly with cow's milk protein allergy yeah mm. that i suppose that there's not a huge amount of data on it as well. Like and some of the studies are slightly flawed and so they're still yeah. kind of estimates at this stage. Um, yeah. but yeah, potentially you're eight times more likely to have cow's milk protein allergy. If you are, um, if your breastfed baby is supplemented with formula in the first, I think wow. it's seven or 10 days. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the the prevalence of cow's milk protein allergy amongst formula fed babies is, you know, is Hi. eight times that of, of breastfed babies. Um, yeah. But Like I say, that's not to make anyone feel bad. I, my son wasn't exclusively breastfed. Um, you know, it, you've got to like formula is fine, you know, like you just yeah. gotta it's okay, you know, like there are solutions here, and like you know, everyone is feeding their babies with love, and you know, it's yes. it's all good at the end of the day. It's just, um, we've just got to figure out why it's happening so you can help it, so um. Yeah feeding support reflux support um and like you said all of these medications like GAVASCON, and mm-hmm. um formula thickeners all of these things they're treating symptoms but they're not finding out what's causing that for your baby so that it's yeah. like sticking a plaster over yeah. it and for some babies it might they might grow out of it i suppose right they might just
1: they might. It depends on the underlying cause. So, yeah. if the underlying cause is, is, say, di- just simply digestive immaturity, so struggling to digest something, say in a formula or in mum's breast milk, and as they grow, their gut gets more immature, then yes, they might. But also, when you're getting months down the line and that has not happened, there is probably something else going on. Yeah. And the the best way to look at it is, say, for example, if it is a tongue restriction. I know i keep talking about this, but. <laughs> um, often we grow we don't grow out of a tongue restriction that's caused problems with infant feeding we grow into Mm -hmm. compensation basically we grow into compensating as adults um so also sometimes babies get better at dealing with gas and wind but also i have seen so many clients recently where they've been told them over and over and over again that their baby will grow out of it and i think you know 14 months two years down the line Mm -hmm. they've still not grown out of it it's still there because nobody has looked or why yeah yes
0: yeah um it's really hard to get taken seriously though I think particularly if you're a first-time parent I think there's a lot of like oh is this your first (laughs) and it's the worst question to hear yeah um, I always just want to go, no, it's my 10th baby, now just take it <laughs> seriously. Same,
1: so do I, so do I. Just don't check my notes. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Um,
0: I also, I mean, one of the other reasons I think that maybe reflux is perhaps more of a thing now is mm. because the advice on infant sleep has changed so we now you know there was the big back to sleep campaign that Mm -hmm. um you know because obviously like 20 30 years ago um there was a really big problem with SIDS and um babies were put to sleep on their side or on their stomachs which was extremely dangerous and I just can't emphasize that enough because um I I I know a lot of refluxy babies obviously like not being able to sleep on your back or doing very short naps and waking very very upset like they're in pain arching their backs sleeping with their heads tilted back and being in difficult like positions and strange positions all classic reflux symptoms and so parents can think right well if I put my baby on their stomach then they'll sleep better However if a baby isn't yet able to roll about and comfortably you know get from their front to their back it's very dangerous and so this is why the advice changed but I do also think that like in the 80s and early 90s babies perhaps weren't were sleeping better because even though they might have been refluxy because they were on their fronts it's just that it was extremely dangerous and tragically like lots of children lost their lives because of that bad advice and so i just want to stress to anyone listening to this that if their baby won't sleeping on their sleep on their backs if they are sick it is really really dangerous for their mm. airways to be on their fronts yeah unless they can confidently easily move and roll about so once your baby is older and they're rolling and they're really mobile just let them find a comfortable sleeping position and often that is on their tummies like I see yeah. a lot of refluxy babies with their you know their bums sticking out in the air you know that's quite like yeah. a common you know so they can find that comfy spot with their tummies but I do think that maybe reflux seems worse now because when that's a reflux yeah I've never
1: thought of that yeah so if you yeah. put a
0: refluxing newborn down on their back they're gonna wake up straight away they're gonna cry very lot they're gonna be more unsettled but it is the safest thing for them to do um so um or, or you know you sleep in your arms if you're awake and so yeah and
1: that's another thing i would say in terms of sleep like i was very much influenced by social media by mm. family to you know don't hold her too much she'll get used to it even though yeah. she was clearly suffering she could clearly not tolerate being on her back but, but therefore i would rush to put her down once she'd fallen asleep and then she would wake up and then i would be more stressed
0: mm-hmm.
1: um And kind of one of the symptoms you look for is like, you know, waking up frequently after being laid down. But also that's a kind of normal baby thing to do as well. They don't like not being on us. So. A lot of people panic about spoil, you know, their baby's going to become too used to cuddles because they've had reflux. And let me tell you, Molly has, is still cuddled to sleep for every single nap and every single night time. And she sleeps through the night and she has good naps. It's yeah. not a thing. Yeah. You know, if they need you, hold them. Get a sling. Yeah. If you're desperate to do the dishes in the kitchen, put them in a carrier, put them in a sling. Whilst we work out, you know, what what's the underlying cause. Whilst we work through it, don't try and rush to force to put them in a mouse basket because somebody told you that they'll get used to it um it's even more important when they're suffering and they're in pain to hold Mm. them close and to support those emotions and that pain and that discomfort
0: definitely i um i get messages all the time on instagram from parents of, of newborns saying I can't put my baby down is that reflux and it's like uh maybe not maybe yeah. like I mean look for the other, symptoms other signs re- you know and, and then I sometimes get messages like 10 weeks later saying it wasn't I'm he just he just needed me you know he was just in the fourth yeah. trimester like he just <laughs> needed cuddles now he sleeps yeah. on his back for a couple of hours at a time and we're all good like yeah you know I'm really glad I didn't rush out and put him on Gaviscon or whatever you know so yeah um, but then you know I had a baby that would never go on his back mm. like even when he was awake in the pram he would just cry
1: yeah um, and I do
0: think part of that was the fourth trimester like I do think emotionally he did just also need to be held I think that's really normal baby behavior regardless of what's going on for a tummy yeah but um, I think following your gut is also like you know, it, gut. It's yeah. all about
1: guts. Isn't it? the <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so listening to that gut voice to say, "Is my baby like unsettled? Are they? Are they?" Clinging to me because they're a baby and they need to be held, and that's normal. Or are they in pain? Are they arching their back? Are they crying? Are they, are they, are they, are they hard to molothing. soothe? Yeah. yeah are they, um, you know, and and this is where silent reflux is so difficult, isn't it? Because yeah. um if you're not seeing the vomit, uh, and someone's just saying, "Well, they're just colicky." Like, what does that even mean? <laughs> I hate mm, colic so same. much. It's not <laughs> so dry. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah um yeah and you know and also some babies I'd love to get your take on this as well are what we call I guess like happy spitters like you know positing and things isn't always a sign that there's anything wrong and the you know some babies do just kind of like spit up a little obviously spit up and they're just happy and they'll sleep and they'll feed and they're gaining weight well and there isn't really a problem
1: yeah I wouldn't be too concerned like especially if it's happened you know like they've just had a feed and then you decide to do some tummy time and then a little bit of spit up comes up. Yeah. You know if there's some pressure on their stomach. If it's happening frequently I, I do always say like there are things you can do to improve like there will be a reason that it's happening. Mm-hmm. Reflux is not an underdeveloped esophageal valve. Mm-hmm. Um, every single baby has that weaker lower esophageal valve just as they have every other muscle in their body is weak when they're born they're not born knowing how to walk or run or (laughs) do or sit up or crawl so every single baby has that lower weaker esophageal valve so why do some babies get reflux and others not because there's a reason for it you know something is causing it so yeah definitely trust your gut like if you feel like baby is happy then then crack on and you're not concerned but if you feel like you know it's happening all the time and they're starting to get more unsettled then seek seek support yeah
0: yeah because um that valve will will strengthen and so um the I think what happens is that then if the underlying cause is never identified, then as the valve strengthens, they might stop throwing up so much, but the digestive discomfort of that trapped wind or that allergy or whatever is going on in that tummy, it's still there. And then I think I see a lot of sleep clients at like nine months, 10 months, and they're saying like, you know, they're they're very unsettled in the night. They're hard to soothe. You know, it's not that your baby's just waking, having a feed, having a cuddle and going back down. It's that they are like inconsolable in the nights or yeah. naps are always short no matter what and they're just this very... was literally
1: Mali. Yeah. I don't think her naps lengthened until she was about 10 months yeah same with me yeah sleep screaming in the night yeah. and it was because of the foods I was giving her I didn't agree with her uh-huh. but I just thought because there's this whole like progression or I don't know what people call it anymore <laughs> progression <laughs> progression yeah um, I think I just thought that sleep was bad because of that because we were getting you know te- technically split night she was awake for hours in the middle of the night but actually she was awake screaming Mm. and throwing herself backwards and was inconsolable and now I look back I'm like oh my god she must have been in so much pain like I knew she was but you just put it down I put it down to like teeth and regressions and all these different things but it was definitely diet because sleep improved straight away once I sorted out diet and started improving her chewing skills and stuff like that
0: and so, and, and it does, it is often worse at night reflux, isn't it? For a couple of reasons, I guess, but lying down for a long I'm period down, yeah. is going to yeah. be a big part of it, right? Just from gravity's point of view, like if there's trapped yeah. wind, it's going to hurt <laughs> when you lie yep. down for a long time <laughs> yep. um, or, um, and your digestive system kind of starts like revving up in the early hours, doesn't it? Of the morning. Yeah. So, um, that can then make babies very unsettled at like three, four 5am and yeah um because they've got tummy ache and we don't know and you know and, and there is a there babies go through gassy phases they go through you know spitting up phases well like not every baby has like a serious reflux I guess I just want to reassure people that you know it's normal sometimes to have a bit of gas maybe you've eaten a new food you're new to weaning and something's yeah. made you gassy and you're like okay I'm not gonna do that food close to bedtime anymore you know (laughs) that you can just kind of or or like your body is just getting used to digesting that you know that doesn't necessarily mean it's a huge problem but i think um yeah listening to your baby and and your instincts and if you've got a child that's really unsettled and really uncomfortable and really hard to soothe in the night and even you know even if you're bed sharing and you're cuddling and blah blah blah, and they're still struggling i would want to get support with that personally
1: absolutely definitely
0: yeah um but it's it is rubbish I mean parents just that it's really hard to find good information and good support um and so how do you how do you work with people then could you what what what's your approach
1: so it's a holistic approach so it looks at everything all the way back from pregnancy you know were the problems in pregnancy was the stress was the antibiotics was the what was going on there um then basically I would send you a book and I'd you'd get a link to a questionnaire to fill in which would be looking at all of this so pregnancy birth labor antibiotic exposure if they're on formula what formula they're on it. if they're you know bottle feeding what bottles they're using Are you combi feeding? Are you breastfeeding are they more comfortable feeding on one side um mm. then it looks at specific feeding behaviors so like it, physical discomfort whilst feeding, so like tugging and pushing the bottle away or pushing the breast away or clawing at their face or hitting, um, mi- you know, milk sloshing in their stomach, milk coming out from the sides of their mouth, then a mouth, then a look at feeding behaviors after a feed, so positing, and vomiting, and that, those kind of mm. symptoms, squirming, grunting, hiccups, hiccoughs. hiccoughs. Can I never say that one. Uh then I look at digestive symptoms, uh their poo, what their poo is like. Then so we've not even symptoms. talked about
0: poo. I mean I, I know could about, I could only a poo, poo episode.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll come back. <laughs> um yeah, poo, what colour is their poo? What what does the vomit look like? What? Uh, Then I look at sleep symptoms. So, you know, what are they doing when they sleep? How often are they waking? Is it excessive night waking or is it normal baby frequent night waking? Mm -hmm. Um, Then if they're on solids. That's the
0: other thing, you know, it's normal for babies to wake in the night. It's normal for them to seek proximity to a caregiver. And it is. And that's why reflux and sleep, it's difficult to know. Are they being a normal baby or is something else going on? It's really hard.
1: Yeah, I think you know it depends it's usually when I work out what's going on it's the patterns of symptoms so like what is happening when and why you know are they just waking up because they're a baby or actually have they been vomiting all day and they normally scrub and grunt and they're also doing it overnight Mm. it's a it is a definitely that's why doing a holistic assessment looking at absolutely everything is really important with reflux like what is going on for that individual baby what has happened what are they doing and what are the consequences and then yeah. basically I do a zoom consultation which lasts like 90 minutes ish usually longer <laughs> um where I explain all of the symptoms to parents and give them an action plan to resolve it so that it's completely sort of specific to your baby and they get you get that in writing after the call. So, because obviously I, I literally go through so much that you would just never be able to write it all down or yeah. remember it. So I send yeah. a written report with an action plan, how to work through it, how to address things in the correct order. So a big part of what I say is not doing too many things at once. Because mm. if you change milk and the next day you add a thickener and the next day you give them gripe water and the next day you do change bottles and then you you know go and get their tongue done. You've done all of these different things in such a short space of time. How on earth are you going to know whether that thing actually helped and what the symptoms are doing Mm. and and whether improvement is related to one thing or the other so that's a big part of what I stress is not changing too many things at once which I was notorious for doing because you're desperate aren't you you're desperate for an answer and you want that quick fix but unfortunately it's rarely a quick fix Mm. I think I've had like two clients that have been you know almost instant fixes but they were quite straightforward in most cases it's a process mm. and success is dependent on you following the action plan mm. and working with me to address things and trusting the process and trusting my assessment yeah. um, and I get good results when people follow you know the action plan
0: yeah oh trust the process that's my trust motto. the process yeah that is, I'm, <laughs> that's like literally I say that's uh, like a million times a day but it's so true. do I yeah. I didn't know you said it <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like yeah like always so yeah it's a so family I. motto actually but, but um yeah and it you know the other thing I suppose to mention is that often like overtiredness um, yes can really look a lot like reflux as well or colic or yeah
1: colic is and reflux because it, you get into this vicious cycle of crying when babies cry they literally inhale Mm. air so they just drink air and then you're getting reflux and gassy symptoms because they're in discomfort because their stomach is full of air causing reflux or causing you know lots of wind and farts um and then it's a vicious cycle then because they're in pain and their cortisol's gone up and they can't switch off and go to sleep so then they're more tired and then they cry even more and it becomes this never-ending vicious cycle and that's why you know part of what I do is actually say with sleep support them to sleep prevent overtiredness Mm. reduce that level of crying to prevent you know the inhalation of excess amounts of air
0: yeah independent sleep will come don't worry you don't have to teach it you can't teach it it will come like they need if a baby needs you they need you like your baby has doesn't have wants they don't have preferences and they don't have habits they just have emotional and physical needs and what they yeah. th- those needs are you and so don't worry like hold your baby keep them close wear them keep them upright as much as you can do what you can to meet those emotional and physical needs and the independence it will come it feel and like we were saying at the start of this chat it feels, feels endless but like i hope if nothing else from today listening to this chat people see that there really is hope like there's so much like we know so much about the gut and how digestion works and how we can support reflux there are amazing people in the universe like you like sharing lots of free info on instagram doing consultations um you have like lived it like you are in a place now where you have a 14 month old who sleeps through the night who is eating food like you've nailed it I had a really really refluxy very unsettled baby he also was sleeping through the night and you know we like you absolutely will and can get through it it's just um don't be afraid to give that support to your baby as part of that process um because it's People will try and scare you, and that's just noise. You've got to block that out. It just—it's not worth listening to, and it's nonsense. Mm,
1: and literally, trust—trust trust the process. Trust like trust it. that you don't have to take, oh, it's normal as a, mm-hmm. a thing with reflex and oh, they'll go out. But you, it, you don't have to accept that. I don't believe in that phrase at all in terms of the, this kind of well, all kinds of reflux really, and. To the point that if anybody's doubting the process and trusting the process, I have changed my entire career to <laughs> invest my time and money into setting this business up to help people because I believe in it that much. Yes. Like I've quit my regular job. This is what I want to do. I'm so passionate about helping people. I love helping people and, and the the kind of feedback and doing the consultations where they realize that they don't they don't have to just wait this out forever yeah. and it doesn't have to be this way forever like it it does work there is another way i promise you
0: okay so thank you for listening to today's episode um i wanted to add that if you are listening to this and you have a refluxy baby or you think they might have reflux and you don't know and something's going on that doesn't feel right and your baby is more unsettled than perhaps you think they should be or um, you're just in a bit of a fog over coliciness or, or whatever it is right now. What I hope you could take away from this episode is that Faye and I are two mums who've had really different experiences but we both have had unsettled refluxy babies ourselves and we have come out the other side we're not just surviving we're thriving (laughs) and we're bonded with our gorgeous little ones and there really is light at the end of the reflux tunnel it can feel really endless when your baby is struggling with reflux or digestive issues like allergies or just colicky behavior but it isn't endless it won't last forever and there is support available fortunately we now know so much more about babies' tummies and there is lots of brilliant information out there such as faye's instagram account and website which are brilliant resources but also i think the reason i wanted to talk to faye and hear her story was that we also need to talk more about how these challenges make us feel as parents it can feel really lonely if it's just you with the baby who's crying for long periods day and night or experiencing these other symptoms of reflux and there really is so much to say on this subject as well so I just want to say regrettably we didn't have enough time to go into the world of allergies and intolerances for example I know Faye touched on that with Mally's experience um with CMPA and uh, weaning and all of that stuff it's really high up on my to-do list to do an episode about about allergies and diets so watch this space that will be coming soon Um, I just need to uh, get, get, um, get sorted with that one because it's such a huge area and it's something I'm absolutely fascinated in so um, please get in touch with your thoughts on today's episode and if it affected you and made you think about anything differently or if it's helped you i would absolutely love to hear that Um, and if you haven't already subscribed or reviewed the podcast i would really really love if you could do it It makes such a big difference to the number of people that get to um, see or hear about the podcast so Thank you again for listening and I hope I'm sending you all good vibes for a good night of sleep ahead.